0: you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really
1: good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional.
0: Hello everyone Welcome back to another episode of the Half-Step Pod. I am your co-host, Connor Lane, and across from me, via Zoom, as always, Grant Fisher. Grant, how you doing?
1: Good, man. Just uh, starting out the week. It's a Monday. Um, Been at altitude for two weeks now, Um, so hoping to get a little bit of an altitude boost coming up pretty soon. Um, But yeah, man, life's good.
0: When you say altitude boost, does that just mean like you start feeling normal again? Because are you going to feel the benefits of it while you're still at altitude? I'm a complete novice in terms of that.
1: Yeah. So essentially, as far as I understand it, um, when you go to altitude, your body is kind of in uh, a hypoxic state. So your body is is lacking oxygen. And in response, it'll start making some red blood cells. um, And the bulk of the red blood cells are created by about three to four weeks in. Um, so somewhere between 21 and 28 days. And at that point, once you have your increased count of red blood cells, ideally, uh, you can process a little more oxygen and feel a little more normal at altitude. Um, I don't think you ever really feel like you're at sea level, but, um, it at least isn't quite as hard. You get a little bit of a boost and, uh, especially when you have those elevated numbers of red blood cells and you drop down to sea level, uh, can be pretty beneficial.
0: Nice. Yeah. So that's going to hopefully come soon for you. We are going to touch briefly, I guess, on the on the past week of training, if there's anything to bring up. And then we're going to talk about nutrition a little bit. We've gotten a lot of questions about uh, pre-race or pre-run fuel, post-run fuel, just normal diet stuff. And then the big thing we're going to do is we're going to be analyzing another historical race. Isn't that right? You sent me another one. Uh, we decided to do, was this a recommendation in the emails? I forget. Or if this was just you organically thinking it.
1: No, no, this, this one wasn't from the emails. I'd say this one is a little, a little unknown. Um, maybe if we have some older listeners uh, out there, you might be familiar with this one, but, uh, this one was not recommended. This one was off the dome as they say. So, uh, I hope, I hope people like it. Um, yeah, we, we had a few recommendations for a race that, uh, that I had run in the past to break that down. I think we'll hold off for a little bit for that. Um, and maybe break down a an NCAA race, or maybe even a high school race that, that I had in the past, and and kind of give my thoughts on that. But we're we're going
0: back into the history books today. We're going back to 1990, the
1: Commonwealth Games 5K.
0: But we'll we'll get to that. I feel like we should tell them, you know, just just in case anyone's <laughs> a diehard Commonwealth Games fan and was otherwise gonna hang up the pod. Um, but yeah, how is this how has this past week been for you? I guess you haven't had this altitude bump yet, so difficult. I. I I know you did the the old 18 to 20 mile long run. Uh saw that on the Insta story yesterday. So, yeah, overall, how how's the week been? Just normal smooth sailing or?
1: Yeah, it's been a good week, man. Um yeah, so reaching back to last Tuesday, we had a bit of a speed endurance workout which I think we spoke about on, on our previous podcast. Um and then on Friday we had a lot more of a strength uh strength-based workout. So, uh, a little bit of polarization of training during the week and uh, a really nice long run. We hit, um, I guess yesterday now on Sunday out in a classic spot where we like to long run, uh, in Colville. It's, uh, kind of a notorious spot, uh, especially for me. I know. Yeah. In, in our last episode, I talked about battling some demons that I've, uh, that I've had at some of these locations and it feels good to, to come at those spots and not be subject to the environment and kind of come out on top, so to speak, like, you know, it's, it's not like I'm going into every day thinking I'm racing or trying to race my teammates, but, uh, just, just nice little confidence boosters, like reminding myself that I'm better than I was a year ago, that I'm more prepared, uh, to, to hopefully make this team. So, um, yeah, it was a very good week. Um, it's been very windy. Uh, the, the seasons are changing up here. We're kind of in a shoulder season. Uh, we got dumped on with a bunch of snow, uh, over the past week. So been running in different spots, but, uh it's been good.
0: Nice, yeah. I saw there was like a midweek just snow dump everyone was posting about that. That seems kinda of surprising. I guess April is it still snow up there? I mean I guess it I mean it obviously does, but <laughs> is that normal or is that like are we out of winter season and it's still doing that? So
1: technically ski season is over out here, but um a lot of a lot of fresh powder on the ground. Um so I I grew up skiing a lot and, um, I have a lot of family up in Canada and my family has an old cabin in Whistler. Um, so I would grow up skiing, uh, on Whistler mountain in Blackholm, uh, which was super fun. So kind of had a little FOMO, you know, my skiing days are postponed for a little bit, um, until I'm done running. So, um, yeah, it's really pretty up here. The, the snow just makes everything look still. It's a nice, uh, a nice visual and stuff, but a little annoying for running at times, um, just trying to drive out to places where there isn't ice and snow to have better footing.
0: No, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's nice. Sounds like it was in our solid week. Hopefully the weather, I'm, well, I, I don't know if you even want it to improve. It seems like you're you're doing just all right with the way that it is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully things just continue to go smoothly at camp. Um, next race is, is it in two weeks or are you delaying it through May
1: more? I don't even know, man. Um, potentially Mount SAC. Um, which I think is the 9th of May, uh, but have not gotten the green light from the big man. So, uh, yeah, the boss hasn't really spoken a ton about, uh, the racing plan, uh, lately. So, um, hopefully I'll know in the next week or so, but, um, you know, with Jerry's training system, it's kind of, his system is more like always be ready to race, um, And if you're always in a a really high level of fitness, then you can sharpen up really quickly rather than doing these super dramatic cycles uh, of fitness where we do have cycles and training is broken down into cycles. But, you know, your fitness really isn't changing by huge, huge percentages throughout those cycles. Uh, You kind of always have a pretty high baseline.
0: No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like it has gotten good results so far. I I think we should probably touch a little bit on some of these listener questions we got about nutrition. I'll kind of open that up to you, how you want to get into it and get started. And then, yeah, that'll be kind of the last, I guess, more housekeeping type item we're going to take care of before diving into this race. So what, what were some of the questions or what do, you, what do you want to talk about specifically?
1: One of the main questions was just kind of asking to me for me to walk them through just a standard day of training and, and the nutrition that kind of goes along with that. So um, before I get into that, nutrition is a very individual thing um, some people can handle you know some pretty heavy food some people have to be pretty careful um, and the only way to figure that out is by experimenting and uh, you know noting what works and what doesn't work so today was a Monday uh, Monday is an easy run day for us and so woke up um, drank a glass of water because you know sleeping at altitude your mouth is usually pretty dry when you wake up I usually go for like a bagel or a piece of toast with some peanut butter uh, and a banana so pretty light things uh, a little bit of peanut butter for the protein uh, the bread just pretty basic carbs uh, nothing that's going to sit super heavy in your stomach the the waters are also pretty important i feel like that kind of jump starts your body gets everything moving right yeah go out and run a uh, standard run for us is about 10 to 11 miles um, come back and we all try to eat something almost immediately upon coming back uh, from the run. So uh, a lot of people say, you know, in the first 30 minutes you want to get something down. Uh, It doesn't have to be anything fancy or super specific, but um, as long as you get something in in that first 30 minute window, that's a very good thing. For, For us, I'd say around half the time, it's like a bar or like a banana or something convenient. Ideally, it would be something a little less packaged and processed than a bar. It'd be something a little more, I don't know, uh, homemade, I guess you could say, but sometimes it's just more convenient to have a bar. Some guys like to have protein shakes, uh, recover a little bit. Uh, and then we usually go to core, do some weights. Um, and then after that, try to get food in again, pretty shortly after, um, we'll drive up the mountain back to our place and, and make a lunch. And this is where you kind of want to have real food. Um, you're usually pretty depleted from kind of two sessions in the morning. Yeah. Often a decent amount of protein. Um, I think today I had a, a tuna melt on some, uh, on some bread and, you know, a little cheese on top. It was quite good. Mm, yes. uh, a little smoothie. Yeah. Yeah. A little smoothie. Um, you know, throwing just a bunch of stuff in there just trying to get calories in, um, when you're training this much and this hard, honestly, one of the most important things is just getting enough food in it, it honestly it can be kind of hard. There are people, you see people run into issues a lot of times with kind of being underweight, uh, as runners. So we try to fuel properly. Um, and that consists of a lot of food, um, protein and carbs, especially during lunchtime, some fats to, to, to keep you full too and to satisfy some of those cravings. And I'd say I fall somewhere in the middle of like being super specific with nutrition and like not caring at all about nutrition. I know there's the saying out there in the running community, you know, if if the, if the fire is hot enough, anything will burn. Basically saying, you know, if you're training enough, you can, you just need to throw anything in your body and it's all going to burn the same. Uh, and then there's also the, the attitude of like, people like to say, you know, if you're a Ferrari, you want to put in like premium gasoline, you don't want to put in junk, uh, to fuel yourself. Um, which I agree with too, but you know, you don't need to be so hyper-specific that you're freaking out or like, counting calories too much, or you can run into a lot of issues there with, uh, eating problems, eating disorders. So, um, I'd say I fall somewhere in the middle. Nice.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that seems to take you through it. And then what's the deal? You go potentially afternoon double, um, or just if it's a single day, single, and then just a good dinner as well. That kind of wraps it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If we're doubling kind of similar thing, um, we'll often have a snack in the afternoon, um, something to keep you full, Go for the double, come back, get some quick food in really quick and then make a real dinner similar to lunch, just bigger proportions. So uh, whether that's pasta before a workout with some uh, ground beef or chicken or or whatever, Um, it could be we had burgers a few nights ago. Those were really good. There was some some steak that was made on the grill. That was great. Yeah, just ideally less packaged things, more things that you cook yourself and, and make and are a little more natural. Um, again it's not the end of the world if you order pizza one night we did that last night we were tired from the long run and just ordered some pizza and it was great but one really important thing especially up here is constantly taking in fluids constantly taking in water electrolytes you get pretty dehydrated and it's kind of amazing how many things in the body depend on water to to function properly so that's definitely a key piece when we're up here at altitude
0: I feel like that. That's all super helpful, I, especially what you're saying about making sure you get in enough food. Because sometimes you can, you know, you can be eating a certain amount during a level of training, but then go up to a harder training block, and you have to make sure your eating goes along with you. Even if sometimes it might feel like you've already you've already had enough, which is almost I don't know. I think like when people typically worry about nutrition, they're worried about eating too much. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when you're when you're training hard, it, it truthfully seems to be about eating enough. Um, the the only other thing that I would add is you know I mean there also are, are a bunch of runners out there who struggle with eating disorders and and things that you you brought up. Um, I've got like a lot of close friends to me um, who have dealt with that kind of stuff, and yeah, I mean, talk, talking to someone who can get the right advice across to you is also super important. Uh, a lot of the time, the more general stuff that like Grant's able to say or you know things that I would echo that you also said does they don't always work for each person like like you Correct. you know said at the beginning, and not only that, but you know it might be almost. I mean, not not triggering per se, but just like it, it might almost, you know, hearing like that kind of advice, if it doesn't apply to you right now, or if that's not where, where you're at in nutrition, then, you know, finding what works for you and getting that across to you, you know, in a way that makes sense is, is going to be the number one thing. We're fortunate at Stanford to work with a nutritionist. I'm sure you have people around your team who can help you in that realm if you're ever lacking. But there, there's definitely got to be options closer to home for most people as well. Um, to just to talk with people who are more experts in the field and can help you with your specific dietary stuff just so you stay on top of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my comments are shaped around my experience and my current experience as a pro runner. Um, you know, not everyone's a pro runner. Not everyone is running the same amount. This is true. Um, so your 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 nutrition goals and uh, nutrition habits are going to be different depending on who you are. Um, but yeah, everything I outlined is just kind of what what I've experienced, which won't apply to everybody. So yeah, I wouldn't say there's there's a formula that everyone can follow. Um, nutrition's a tough thing, and that's why there's experts out there. There's why that's why people study this stuff, and why it's hard to get right. So there's there's resources out there if if you'd like a professional you know take on everything.
0: Yeah, it might not come from me and Grant the professional take, but we can <laughs> yeah. point you in a direction. I you know it's funny though just hearing you say that like there's not a set formula is I feel like both of us i mean you probably get more contacted about this kind of stuff than me but like there are always people who reach out and are always kind of asking for that like hey like what's the thing you do that makes you run thirteen <laughs> zero? you know like like oh like what's the training you do as if like that's the whole piece of the pie or what's the nutrition you have or or you know like do you sleep in like an altitude tent like like what's like the little secret one factor that leads to it and i mean it's almost redundant to say but obviously it's just a combination of the way you live your life and you know for better or for worse there is not this one secret that you can unlock by listening to to grant talk about you know like his life and that alone is going to be what you know propels you to becoming a super elite runner there could definitely be gaps where hearing our advice is helpful but i don't know i just think it's funny because i feel like every question gets back to like hey man like what's the formula for how you do this and it's just so dependent on the individual person that it almost isn't even that helpful sometimes to, I mean, hearing your general nutrition is definitely worthwhile and important, but like on a micro level, it's going to be different
1: from most everyone else, you know? Yeah, man, that, that's a great point. Training is different for everybody. Yeah. I'll get messages every so often about, uh, you know, from people in high school wondering workouts I did in high school that made me successful. <laughs> um, and I mean, I'll tell you that I did so many tempos in high school that was the bread and butter of my coach's system, uh, Mike Scannell. When I was in, in high school, it was tempos. That, that was kind of the backbone of our system. And that's not the only way to get fast. You know, different things work for different people. I responded really well to that, and that was great. There are other people on my team that didn't respond as well. There are other people that would respond better to a different system. Everyone's different. You can get caught just kind of trying to copy everything that another person has done, which I think there's a difference between that and taking bits and pieces of things that have made other people successful and try to apply them to your formula. I think those are totally different things. Um, Learning from other people, learning from their mistakes, learning from the things that have made them successful is a very important skill. But trying to emulate everything that someone does and thinking that the outcome will be the exact same, it, it almost never works that way because everyone is so different everyone's coming from different places
0: yeah i mean just learning is essential you know you got to be able to learn from from peers and people you respect but copying is going to get you burned (laughs) at at a certain (laughs) point you got to know your own body it's got to have some weight in it and you know it's funny i mean i feel like if someone was like yo grant how fast did you run your continuous runs in college you know and you told them they would probably like that's not going to work for everyone you know like running like north of seven minute mile pace on most of your runs probably won't lead for every single person being able to run times that you were running it, it, it's so dependent on that person and a whole bunch of individual factors like you know how much people do outside of just the continuous runs each day like i remember watching you in weight room and it was everything that you did was really intentional it was like you berg Nick steven like all those older guys at the time everything that y'all did like weight room was super intentional drills was super intentional And you realize there are all these little factors where if you just ask someone like how fast they go on their continuous runs, it you're not going to get the full weight of kind of what they do. And similarly with nutrition or with anything. But yeah, I mean, super it's valuable to know these things and, and to hear them from, you know, I mean, I would say you're an expert in the field of like being an elite athlete at least, or you're, you're working on it. So it's always helpful to, to at least get those tidbits, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Dang. Well, okay. I think we should transition to what all the people are here for. <laughs> Do you want to kind of open this up? I've got the wiki page pulled up in the race video. Um, do you want to do you <laughs> want to describe the race? How how everyone should find it on YouTube first, uh, or I guess they could listen and then kind of check in with it. Uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as mentioned before, this is the 1990 Commonwealth Games 5000 meter final. If you look on YouTube, there are a few videos of this race. Uh, the very best one that I think is out there is split into two parts unfortunately so part one is like the first nine minutes of the race and part two uh are, is the the remaining piece of the race and yeah the the best video i'd say you'd have to search uh, unfortunately it kind of gives away what's going to happen the title but lloydy's 5000 meter 1990 commonwealth games gold part one would be the first part and then the same thing part two would be the second part there are a few other continuous videos but i don't think the commentary is as good
0: can I just say though, I feel like especially for the sake of us going over it, I think we should say the fact that Lloyd wins because when I was watching this race, if I hadn't known that he won, and we'll get to this, I would have not appreciated watching the race video through at least the first time, like at all. Just just if you don't know what kind of like the trend of what's going to happen, I feel like you almost don't even appreciate it. It just completely shocks you. And I, I feel like uh, for these races, and especially for us describing them, I think it's natural to say, Hey, we're flashing back to when Andrew Lloyd it's Andrew right I didn't get that wrong yeah. on, on the okay yeah. cool when when Andrew Lloyd, Andy Lloyd like is winning gold at this race because there is still so much within the race itself that is shocking even though you know what's going to happen I'd say still pretty shocking
1: yeah the the drama in this race is great yeah it might take you know two watch throughs to to really to really enjoy cuz the first time you're kind of like whoa uh there's kind of always something going on it almost runs like a chaotic cross-country race mm-hmm. but yeah to to paint the picture it's uh 1990 commonwealth games i believe it's in auckland new zealand and the race is loaded um, wait can i
0: just tell people what the commonwealth games are
1: yeah yeah good, know, cause, idea. Cause good idea because i didn't know until
0: a couple years ago it's it's like a combination of basically every you know Past colony, or I guess still present colony, that was ever in the domain of the United Kingdom. Like all of those countries meet, I guess, is it once every four? I think, and have like, you know, their version of the Olympics. But also, the United States is not a part of that for some reason. So maybe it was like, it was at a certain cutoff date if you were a uh, region under the domain of the UK, then you kind of stayed in this Commonwealth Games. You get a bunch of like African colonies that are now countries, such as Kenya and then you know places like australia and uh, obviously new zealand as a host nation but then also like the uk itself so it's like a really eclectic group one of the most interesting international competitions just based on who is and isn't allowed to participate but definitely some good running and especially back then a lot of powerhouse nations were a part of it
1: yeah um to name a few of the people um we had uh, let's see on he is uh Kenyan coming into this race, world rank number one in the 5K, fastest time in 1989. Uh, he goes on to win gold in the 5K in Tokyo for the World Championships, uh, and he actually attended Iowa State, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, he is the first of the three Kenyans in this race. Uh, second guy we've got Moses Tanui, uh, another Kenyan. I believe he's running barefoot in this race, actually, What? Uh, I didn't which even is quite see interesting. That. Yeah, he, he goes on to win gold in the 10K at the World Championships the following year in 1991. Runs really well in a couple half marathons. Wins the Boston Marathon twice. First guy to run under an hour in the half marathon. So, uh, you know, a beast by, by all metrics. Uh, and our third Kenyan would be John Ngugi. Uh, certainly the favorite going into this race. Olympic champ in 1998 in Seoul. Uh, four times World Cross Country Camp or world cross country champ and uh yeah an, uh, an incredible athlete um he actually had a uh, i'll touch on this later but he has an interesting story that goes on a little bit after about three years after this race those are kind of the key players uh if i'm missing any connor let me know do i do i just checking the
0: wiki results page do i see mark roland and is that you do the, see mark Roland? is that the yeah. same
1: mark roland <laughs> That is correct, yeah. So Mark Rowland actually kind of comes out as a key player in this race, representing, uh, you know, he's, he's English, uh, representing England in this case. I don't think they're representing the UK. I think it's England. No, it's case. England, yeah. Yeah, the Olympic bronze medalist in the steeple, 1988, and current Oregon track club coach, uh, which is quite cool. I feel like a lot of people don't know how good he was as an athlete, um, but he was a, a well-accomplished athlete in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s.
0: And then we got it. And then we gotta briefly describe Andy Lloyd, unless you have a better time. You want to do that? Uh, the the protagonist, I guess, because he, you know, of what he does in the race.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'll go over Andy Lloyd a little bit. Really interesting story. Uh, I was doing a little digging. I didn't know this before, but five years before this race, so in about 1985, uh, he was in a car accident, and uh, he lost his wife in the car accident. Unfortunately and sustained a pretty bad knee injury from the accident and it required six knee operations to get right. So even just lining up for this race is kind of an accomplishment in itself for Lloyd. Um, You know, going through all that, uh, it sounds like he was under a lot of criticism for being a good runner, but not really being able to perform at major championships, kind of choking when the pressure was high. So sounds like there was a decent amount of criticism on him going into this race. So um, a little bit of pressure, uh, certainly from, from the media, it sounds like.
0: Well, and, and you, and I, I heard that too, when, when they were talking about like, when the announcers were talking about Lloyd, uh, after he won. And part of me wonders if it's just the time period too. I mean, you know, this was kind of maybe not the beginning, but definitely during like this, you know, Kenyan, like just dominance in, in the distance events. And Lloyd is certainly a good runner, but I mean, you see just from how the race breaks up that, and like you know, them saying that this is a good run from Lloyd early on, perhaps it's choking in the sense that he wasn't earning world medals at all. But like, you know, to say that he he definitely wasn't the favorite in this race, you know, for example. So maybe I don't know how bad his performance were to scale of like what he should have been doing at Worlds, for example. Because, you know, I'd say that if you're like for sure not one of the top three or five guys in the race at Worlds, not getting a medal is definitely not like choking. He just didn't show out that day. I guess that I don't. I haven't done any deeper research into it than just listening to them and seeing how the race played out but it certainly seemed like he was kind of an underdog and maybe didn't think he'd be up there like he was
1: yeah certainly an underdog um you know speaking or to he uh he does a great post-race interview after if you stick around towards the Mm -hmm. end of the video of the second part of the video kind of describes how he was feeling going into the race um and I, I think I'll hold off on touching on that a little bit until we kind of describe the whole race. But yeah, to get this thing going, it is it is so clear that the Kenyan trio are the favorites. Um, everyone's watching them and the gun goes off and everyone kind of settles in. And a guy named Kerry Roger, uh, New Zealand hometown hero, it seems like everyone's cheering for him and all. Balding, awesome. which I love. That is yeah, Balding wearing those classic, you know, like, 80s, 90s singlets that are cut so low. So low. They're like like hanging so low. Um almost look like uncomfortably like low where like your whole chest is out. Um definitely seems like chest hair was in back then. Um, you know, people are trying to show it off. So definitely gives that nice like vintage vibe. Um watching the start of this race with with Carrie out front. Takes it out nicely. The crowd loves it. Um and race is kind of you know it's not quite strung out but it's not super slow there's a bit of a pack and sometimes when you're in those packs things can get kind of choppy and uh two minutes in jack buckner and john nagugi go down um and and nagugi is as we mentioned the olympic champ reigning olympic champ so that was the favorite going down um and going down with him was jack buckner another english guy european champ world bronze medal in 1987 you know two very good runners Buckner is probably the favorite for bronze in this race and both of them go down and lose about 80 meters or man, not 80, maybe 50 meters.
0: Yeah. a Good amount though. For sure.
1: 50 meters. Yeah. They spot the group about 50 meters and you can see the pack kind of realize, Oh man, the favorite just went down. What, what do we do? Are we going to push? Are we going to, you know, let them back in because this could be our best opportunity to kind of string this thing out and maybe take them out of the race. And Nagugi clearly is having none of that. He gets back on his feet and sprints back to the pack. And when he gets there, he doesn't stop. He whips around the outside and is in the lead within a lap from where he fell. So this dude hammered this lap, probably just full of adrenaline, probably kind of pissed about being clipped up and falling, and goes to the front and starts breaking away.
0: There's a lot of tactical things with the race that I would call into question. But I certainly <laughs> can't I can't underestimate the effect of adrenaline in that moment. But what I'd say is for him to I mean, I feel like the thought process, right, is I'm the class of this field. I'm not like you know, maybe pre race plans like, yeah, I'll sit in like twelfth for a while, ride on the outside and just, you know, run like a smooth finish to the race and try to win it tactically. But once he goes down, you can almost see the gears turn and become like I'm better than pretty much everyone in this field maybe my teammates are on par with me but there's no reason why i shouldn't just be hammering this thing away and perhaps what he underestimates is you know the fall on his legs and also just having to i guess make up that whole 50 meters to go straight to the front but what's weird is he goes to the front dude and he like gaps the front by like 10 meters for a lap and you think okay he's just gonna like go and i don't know if the pack just responds to it or if he slows down at all because Definitely some laps in there were closer to sixty, like a sixty-two or a sixty-one or that kind of thing. But the pack does kind of close it back, and now he's just leading the race, um, like just barely. It's not like he's—he's he's not really doing much with the lead at that point. He's just kind of leading it, and I feel like that is maybe that might be an error in general as a favorite in the race. It might not, but especially having made up the ground he made up, it seemed just like so taxing for him to go from uh back to the front and then just kind of sit leading it for a while and then it seems like he almost puts in another surge. So I don't know like where you want to take it from there. But that was interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot to analyze there. I've never outright fallen in a race. I don't know if you ever have. I've stumbled before and almost gone down, but never outright fallen. Yeah, me neither. And it must be just a rush of emotion, you know, anger that you got tripped up, maybe feeling a little sorry for yourself that you're like out of it. And then, you know, probably just a lot of adrenaline, like I need to get back in this race now. You know, there, there's no time to let it go. Um, and especially him being the favorite, I'm sure he was kind of like, screw these guys, like, they clip me up, they know I'm the favorite, you know, I'll show them, I'm going to go to the front and they're going to hurt. And this is going to be a bloodbath because, you know, the, these guys thought they could, you know, take me out and, and do it this way. Um, I'm sure that's the narrative that he's kind of got in his, his head at this point. And yeah, it goes to the front, yeah, a couple of those laps look like 60, 61. So incredibly fast laps out, to be. He like he
0: gaps it, yeah.
1: Yeah, incredibly fast laps to be cranking five minutes into a 5K by yourself out front. And from what I saw, it looks like the pack kind of responds more so, more so that than him slowing down, than, than uh, Ngugi slowing down. So the pack strings out is following him now, but he still has a little mini gap. He has like a five meter gap at this point, which in my opinion is not where you want to be. I personally dislike being five meters ahead of everybody and knowing everyone's sitting on me and knowing that even though I'm hammering, the pack is still there. That's never a good feeling. Um, And that's a feeling that honestly, I try to impose on other people in races. Um, That's just a classic tactic. If someone's in the front, um, let them know that you're there behind them. Let them know that you're breathing not as hard as them and kind of Try to get in their head by not doing anything, by just sitting on them. I'd say that's that's a classic tactic that I try to use quite a bit.
0: Well, and he has his five meter lead, but then, for like a lap, but then it cuts the commercial and it comes back and it's back <laughs> at like twenty meters and he's alone. Um, and it cuts it cuts back from commercial right around like five fifteen into the five k, and it shows that another Kenyan has fallen, definitely another another medal favorite. Do you remember which guy it was?
1: Uh, I believe it's Uhndiki that falls. Yeah, um, it is. Maybe like, yeah, five or six minutes in. Yeah, to go back, N- Ndiki's world number one at this point. He goes on the next year to win gold at in the 5k world. So no scrub in himself. And he's leading the chase group. So
0: it's like N- Ngoge out in front of everybody. Then there's then there's like two guys who are kind of in between. And there's all the rest of the pack. And uh, Ndiki is leading that pack. And then this gets tripped up. So now you see this like these big gaps are kind of forming. They're exacerbated by the fall and out in front, and gogay is just kind of, and Googie, sorry, and Googie is just kind of like coasting, but he's
1: running sixty-one or something. Yeah, so he's running those sixty ones, and he's kind of always glancing back. Um, I don't, I would imagine there wasn't a big screen at this meet, which was probably the reason why he was glancing back. At big meets, it's very, very common for people to look up at the big screen to see where everyone's at without fully turning around. Especially at NCAA's, at US Championships, they have a big screen and they have the race video up, so. You're able to kind of assess where everyone is without fully turning around, which is quite advantageous in this case. And Googie doesn't seem able to do that. He kind of is glancing over his shoulder. He seems to realize that something crazy has happened, which he's correct. And Andiki has fallen, which was probably the co-favorite in the race. So at this point, the two favorites of the race have fallen. Yeah, the race is kind of in shambles. Uh, there's one chase pack. Yeah, it's a mess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a chase pack of Paul Williams from Canada and uh, Mark Rowland, who we mentioned earlier. Then there's a little gap, and I believe at this point, it's Moses Tanui that starts leading that pack alongside Kerry Roger from New Zealand, Uh, Moses being the other Kenyan in the race, the third Kenyan. Andy Lloyd sitting in that pack, and Ian Hamer from Wales also sitting in that pack. And it kind of looks like a cross-country race. I don't know how you felt watching it, but it it looked like a cross race. I, I don't think I've really seen... Five Ks that strung out and split open, you know, six minutes in.
0: Yeah, that's that's the main I think like, fascinating thing about the race,
1: and that that's kind of
0: why I was saying about Lloyd because up to this point he's not even on the radar. He's just sitting in the middle of that third pack of guys, and it's just it's so weird. Like they let Ingugi go so far in front, and then by about six and a half minutes in, the two chasers, right, Roland and the uh, the other, like they've caught Ingugi. Um, and they just now are sitting on his tail. But then there's like a big gap in the whole rest of the pack. It just seemed like no one was ready for Ngugi to make this really hard move. Or they didn't believe in it because he'd fallen or something. Or, you know, what I think is also likely is a lot of those guys in that race. I mean, Lloyd says it in his post-race. Like, a lot of those guys are probably shooting for third because they know the world number one in the reigning Olympic champ are in the field. So if you see Ngugi go out and you're more of a, you know, you know, you don't have like 13, 15 in your legs, or something and you know no one's going with them then you're thinking hey i want a medal and i'm not gonna go and that's an interesting thing about world and and national meets that you sometimes see is like packs split up based on who's targeting what and i would be fairly confident to say that lloyd and all those guys in the third pack weren't even targeting winning the race in that middle part unless ngugi came back to them like at a certain point you have to kind of cast that away and and be like "There, you know i'm i'm 40 meters back on this guy right now and if he's if he's got that gear he's got that gear and that's okay but i'm gonna try to close in on the other guys who i know i can take i think that contributes to why you see it space out as it does but it's super interesting i mean you don't see that very much especially these days i feel like most people in a world final would not let the would not let the favorite go under any circumstances not not a lot of favorites would take it from the gun i think part of this is you know, the Commonwealth Games and Ngugi knowing, hey, there's not very many guys in this race who are up to my standard when I'm on, which I think is fair. Um, but at like the Olympic Games, when you know, hey, the other 12 guys on the line are like world, world, world class, like the top 12, you probably are more hesitant to take it. And then they're going to probably follow you. So I thought both those things kind of came together. It was really interesting.
1: Yeah, man, this was really, really bold running by Ngugi out front. Um, you know, you could view it as bold. You can view it as arrogant, um, confident, however you want to view it. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. When you when you go out there by yourself out front, you got to believe in yourself, and you, you got to think that that's your best shot at winning. And Googie was known for not really having a kick, so um, he needed to string it out. I'm sure he wasn't planning on stringing it out as early as he ended up having to do because he fell. Potentially, the emotions got the better of him and kind of slammed the the gas to get into the front and and start running 60s because. You know, every time he looks back, he looks a little less confident. Every time he looks back mm-hmm. at the pack, even though he has, you know, he ends up getting about 50 meters on the pack. He looks a little a little less confident each time. And if I were in the chase pack, every time I see that, I would think, oh, he's nervous and, and we're coming. Uh, and he knows we're coming. And you can kind of smell the and blood he's in tired. the water. Yeah, <laughs> you can smell not, the he's blood. He's not just
0: like just nervous,
1: he's like drained. <laughs> yeah. You know, man, when you're deep in races like that and they're hard and strung out, your mind just works in such simple ways. Like your thoughts are so simple. So I don't even know how to describe it. Your, your, Your emotions are just very basic. You know, you just feel fear, greed, elation, like really basic, basic emotions and aren't really thinking that much. So your thoughts are pretty, pretty direct. And simple. Um, so I would imagine the guys in the chase pack, like you said, um, when you see the gap, you might be thinking, okay, he's for sure gonna win. Let's try to. Let's, I'm gonna try to get silver or bronze. This is a good opportunity still, um, because Undiki fell and is out of it. Um, I can still get bronze or silver. But each time you see Ngugi look back, I'm sure those thoughts start to change a little bit. Like, hey, maybe we can get this guy. Maybe we can get him um, he looks kind of tired. He looks kind of nervous. Um, you're not really thinking in full thoughts mid-race and it's important to understand where your mind goes mid-race and expect those thoughts and know that when you're going to have these base emotions, kind of be ready for him.
0: So to take it, because I agree with everything that I think it's a really cool depiction of kind of what it's like mid-race. Did you, did you actually read Once a Runner or was was the, uh, anything will burn quote, just pulled from something else you heard it from. Cause I, I think it's written in there.
1: From uh, yeah, that, in the pod. that's, that's yeah, that is from the book, but I've also heard like a lot of people reference that. So, yeah. um, I think well, no, originally is when, from the book.
0: Yeah. When, when you're talking about so once a runner, uh, John L Parker, like like we don't give out free ads, but a hundred percent free. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard of it. Uh, I'd say the, the, I mean, in my opinion, the best, I guess it's fictional, but the best like book depicting like collegiate running or like elite running, um, in, like, a story, kind of, that, that I've ever read, uh, all three of them, and I, it just reminds me of that race against the, when uh, Cassidy's racing the New Zealand guy, and it's just, like, you know, he's very much the underdog in that field, and just with how raw the emotion gets, and he's chasing him down, you know, like, running behind him, and it's like, man, this guy's a robot, he's invincible, he's, like, he's just, you know, Cassidy, like, the protagonist is so negative in his thoughts about, like, this guy's dominant, you know, how am I going to get him? And then with like, I think 300 to go or 400 to go, he sees like the New Zealand guy, the favorite, he sees like his arm kind of fling out weird or like he kind of cuts his stride or just, you know, like you can tell, oh, he's actually struggling. And it completely shifts his mindset to where he's like, like, oh shit, like he, uh, you know, this favorite, this guy who's supposed to kind of just absolutely wreck me in this race, like wait, it's 300 to go, and he's also struggling. It's just—it's a huge mental shift, and I think it's really important where you know, there can be pre-race favorites. I'm not going to spoil the ending of that fictional race, but definitely <laughs> read the book. Um, th- there can be pre-race favorites and guys who are dominant, but whether they fall or if it's just an off day for them or something happens, I feel like you never want to give the favorite in a race too much credit and just let them beat you before they beat you. And I feel like this is a very similar thing. I doubt Lloyd, I doubt these guys in that chase pack, are even thinking about beating Ngugi until, you know, that, like, kind of bell laugh when they start seeing him come back, which we'll get to. But at the same time, you don't ever want to just concede it either. You know, you want to live in that in-between of, I'm going to run a really good race, and maybe I'll get these guys at the end. Maybe I won't. But I just thought it was interesting. It made me think of that with um, the New Zealand guy in that fictional race. Like, his arm starts to hitch, and you can kind of, oh, his strides kind of getting janky, and, and he's struggling. Similar to Ngoogie. the more he looks back, the more you realize, like you said, This is vulnerable, you know. This is a vulnerability, and now that you see that, you can kind of start, like you said, blood in the water, attacking it and going for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, dude. You you don't want to lose a race before it even starts. You you don't want to just count yourself out or start counting spots or think you're completely out of it because anything can happen. You don't really know how anyone's feeling on the day. Um, You don't know what people's training have been like leading in. You know, you can base some part of your race plan around what other people are doing, but. Basing a hundred percent of your race plan around someone else will usually doesn't work. Um, I've done that before and made that mistake and had regrets after, you know, when you base everything around what someone else does, your race becomes like not in your control anymore. It's important to note what other people are doing and, and uh, take note of where the favorites are and, and the people you want to beat where they are and your positioning relative to them. But, you know, to, to gear an entire race plan around someone else or to spot someone the win before the race even starts is a mistake. Definitely.
0: So getting back to it, it's about nine minutes in now, maybe 10 minutes in. They're coming up on three to go. And, I, and Googie has re-gapped those two guys who kind of caught up to him in the chase pack. So now they're kind of in no man's land. To be fair, they're running really fast, especially for going through 800 and like 210 or 211. And then there are also a couple laps in there. Like I think that ninth or 10th lap might have been another 65. Like they, they regressed back down before the final kick geared up where the leaders were definitely running like another 64 or 65. It was funny because the first time through, I missed like seeing the splits on the 61s. And so, you know, you see 65, 66 on the first two. And then later on in the race, I'm also seeing 65. And then they end up running thirteen twenty whatever. And I'm just like, wait, how did, like, when, when did that happen? When when did they actually pick it up? But then you realize Googie was splitting like a 58 a lap he fell and then like some 61s after. Um, so he's he's regained the lead, but this was the point with three to go where I first noticed, man, he looks really tired. You know, and he <laughs> was still clicking away like 64, 65, but he, he looked kind of gassed, like the fall was catching up to him. I don't know what you saw.
1: Yeah, man, that middle third of the race, he cranks it. He runs 60s and 61s. And it is annoying that there's a commercial break halfway through. Um, Maybe for your second watch through, if anyone watches this race, watch one of the other videos. Um, It has different commentary, but at least it it covers the race straight through. So you're able to see some of that middle chunk a little easier. This version of the race, this race video just has great commentary. So I'll I'll overlook the, the, the break in the middle. But... Yeah, he's looking back quite a bit. Um, The the first chase pack is looking a little tired, but yeah, so is Ngugi. He is slowing down. He's not running 60s and 61s anymore. He starts running 65s. And it seems like all the chasers are doing the same. People look exhausted. They look really tired. And most of the work in the chase packs, the first chase pack, most of the work uh, has been done by Paul Williams of Canada. Mark Rowland has touched the front a few times, but I thought he was running a pretty smart race. Paul Williams was doing most of the work. Um, no need to, you know, fry yourself out front. Um, and then in the pack behind that, uh, it looked like Kerry Roger and Moses Tanui were both doing most of the work in that pack. Um, so Ian Hamer and Andy Lloyd were just kind of sitting. I don't think they let a step. Yeah, they come into two laps to go. There's still the three packs. Although Ngoogie looks tired, his gap is so big that, you know, no one in their right mind thinks that anyone's going to catch him. And Honestly, the, the gaps are kind of staying the same right now. Um, they're running up on two two laps to go, um, and Googie still has his 50 meter lead. And uh, the two chase packs are almost about to kind of combine. Uh, at about 600 meters to go, uh, the third chase pack kind of swallows up that second chase pack. So now there's roughly six or seven guys in a chase pack 50 meters back behind in Googie. And, and Googie is, you know, clipping along, but he's looking back even more frequently now. He's looking more vulnerable, looking back, looking back. And even the announcers, you know, they're looking at this and are kind of mentioning, you know, maybe the, the second pack's just fighting for silver. In some of the other videos, the, the announcers explicitly say, you know, this is a fight for silver. No one's catching in Googie. Um, this is going to be a really exciting race for silver, which is a very logical conclusion to, to come to. Um, 50 meters with 600 to go is a lot of ground to make up. And at this point, Mark Rowland kind of comes to the front, starts cranking a little bit, closing the gap down a little bit. But, I mean, obviously Ngugi knows what point in the race he's at and is kind of clipping things down uh, as well. Um, Again, Ngugi's not known for his kick, so I'm sure he's getting more and more nervous as time goes along, probably feeling that move, thinking back, you know, did I go too hard after falling down? Did I make a mistake? Did I was I too bold? Um, kind of those thoughts are probably creeping into his mind at that point point. Um, and you can see the chase pack as we've continued to mention sort of gaining that that feeling that 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 drive to think that maybe we can get this guy and all sorts of guys are going to the front now and, and pulling that group it, it almost is uh, similar to something you'd see on the Tour de France kind of in the in the summer. Watching a breakaway mm-hmm. pack and Good the peloton, uh, the peloton trading off leads and and chipping away, chipping away, and you kind of have that drama of, are these breakaway guys that have put everything on the line early, are they just going to get swallowed up by this fast charging massive bodies, um, and so definitely some thrills going into that last lap, uh, where Ngugi still has the lead. Can I just
0: he Ngugi comes through the line before 400 to go in 1223 and he and lloyd run 1324 so i feel like the first time i watched the race you know or i guess when when you when you see that it's still 40 to 45 meters for sure at the bell like 40 meter gap it's crazy <laughs> i mean i mean just you you would think okay the leader's going to run like a 66 65 67 i mean he runs a 61 yeah you know i mean obviously that's not like a good close in a championship 5k but like with how jerky all the paces were, those guys behind him probably had to run like a fifty four or fifty five. I mean, I don't know specifically. But just to close and I feel like when you think about the margin, you think, Oh, and Googie must have slowed like sixty one, it might not be respectable in like a world class championship kind of field, but it's certainly not like he started jogging.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's tiring. Um, his form is starting to go kind of similar to that story you told uh about once a runner. You know, you can see in Googie he's kinda getting a little more sloppy with his arms, a little more sloppy with his legs. Every look back seems to be costing him a little bit more and that adds to the fire, that adds to the fuel for that chase pack. Yeah, I think I don't know if the race pulled up right in front of me, but I believe it's I believe it's Tanui that makes the first move. Yeah, yeah. Um
0: it's it's hard because the camera's kind of maybe out of exact focus. Let me rewind it a little bit. Uh at the bell, there's uh what country is I think Mark Rowland's actually leading at the Bell still um, as they come up with it. And then Tanui's on the outside. Tanui has spikes. The other Kenyan was the one not wearing spikes, by the way. Okay. Ondeki. Right. Ondeki. Ondeki um, was not. But, yeah, at the Bell, it's Tanui and Rowland. And uh, Lloyd is kind of on the inside rail, I guess, in overall fourth and in third in the group. But Rowland's still leading it. And then you get down the backstretch. And that's where, yeah, Tanui absolutely bolts. Um, and then the two guys who end up 2-3, the guy from Wales, Ian Hammer and Lloyd, that's where they, with like 250 to go, really just start blasting it. It's really fast. Um, so that, And then and then also what I thought was cool, uh, Kerry Roger, who led the first 400, first 800, you know, is the next guy in line going around everybody, which I, I thought was, <laughs> you don't always see that, right? When a guy is leading 400, 800 into a race that they're they're going to be there kicking, but that was cool as well.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the, you know from 400 to go to 200 to go, there's a lot of stuff that happens. All those guys are in position and, you know, they're trying to beat each other, but they're also trying to catch uh, Ngoogie out front. And something that my coach in college, Coach Milt, um, your coach for part of college, always would tell us was try to be the guy that makes the last move. You want to make the last move. You don't want to be the guy that makes the first move and then fizzles out and gets swallowed up. Um, that's kind of what happens to Moses Tanui. He makes an early move kind of with 300 to go, bolts to the front quickly. It's covered by Hamer. Hamer swings around him. So at this point, Tanui has played his cards and, you know, they're out on the table and he's kind of hooped now. Um, Hamer makes a really strong drive and Andy Lloyd does a really good job of navigating that and latching onto Hamer and hanging onto that move. So at this point, Hammer still looks good and is cranking and closing down the gap. And, and the whole crowd realizes it. The crowd realizes that, hey, they might actually get this guy. And I'm sure they're fueled on by that. But Andy Lloyd was just an incredible job of recognizing the guys that are going to do the work for him. And you can see it throughout the race. Yeah. He doesn't lead a step, not even within the the packs that he's in. Like, even when he's in the third chase pack, he's not leading a step. Um, another thing that Milt was big on in college was if there's six guys in a pack or a chase pack or whatever, you don't need to be first or second. You just have to be, like, fifth or sixth. Not yeah, seven. yeah, or yeah, fifth. Or oh, you, oh, yeah, I you guess, guess, you guess you don't want to be the last guy. Back, so You're always second. Yeah, last. if there's six guys, be be fifth. And then when it dwindles a little bit and there's four guys, be third. And then in this case... When Hamer goes, there's two guys, Andy Lloyd and Hamer. So in that case, when there's two guys, be second. And then, you know, coming around that final bend, Lloyd is the one with all the advantage. All of his cards are still in his pocket. He hasn't played anything. He has used zero extra energy and is being spurred on by the crowd, by the momentum, seeing Googie starting to fall apart a little bit. Hamer has dragged him into the perfect position and he's able to swing wide on that final straight. And he still has, you know, 10 meters to go from Ingugi, but you can just see just the drive that he has. There's a couple of cool slow-mos that they show after the race of his face. And he is just looking straight ahead, just full focus, full determination. And, uh, it's, it's incredible. He has an incredible close that last 200, but it's important to note the entire race. He conserved energy. He had other people do the work for him and he set himself up to win that race.
0: Yeah. I mean, a really common question just to go back to kind of the theme of today, like how do you kick good? I mean, that's how you kick well, you know, that you don't, you don't do anything that you don't need to do within a race you get to as far down the line as you can without having expended that energy and then you blast it like that's where it comes from um you know or i mean yeah you're genetically predisposed to a certain <laughs> leg speed or and, and, and maybe lloyd is a good kicker i i didn't know anything about him before today when we were watching this video i don't know what you know but like and you know it seemed like he also did some mid-d stuff perhaps but at the end of the day like the kick within the race itself comes from what you've done in the race and, and googie has expended so much energy at that point um what i thought was interesting in the home straight when lloyd pulls up on him and googie like surges with him for about 10 meters and then there's like 10 more meters where lloyd gets in the line and i've always wondered about that i'm sure i've done that in races before but i try not to um i try to never be able to have another gear with 30 meters to go (laughs) when i get pulled up on you know like especially especially when you're getting past when you, when you're the person in the lead I wonder about that a lot like you know if you hit 100 to go and you're in the lead, you should be able to run like that you know that linear 100 at your max you know like it almost shouldn't be here's another gear at 20 to go. I mean I mean obviously there sometimes is that like extra kick when you guys are running neck and neck and someone eventually breaks away but when you're running at a certain pace and you get pulled up on, and then you kind of bolt a little bit. It's it's almost a little bit like where like, where was that gear? Like you should already be all hopped up on adrenaline with 100 to go in the race, right, when you're pulling into the home stretch where you can maybe make that kind of kick last for that long. It was interesting to see him kind of react and obviously not have it, obviously expended too much, but still almost reacted enough to get Lloyd, but obviously failed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree that ideally you'd want to have your final gear already in play with 30 to go. However, I mean, it's hard to do sometimes like to know exactly how hard to go without like overextending yourself. Um, And sometimes someone coming up on your shoulder like that, you do get a little bit of a psychological boost and are able to like find some other gear that might not have been there if someone hadn't come on your shoulder. Um, That's fair, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can it can be hard to do. What Ngoogie did was more... You know he came up on the shoulder and it was kind of a tensed up like trying to muscle the pace um yeah and you see him like muscle it for maybe 10 meters and then it costs him um so i think it was a little different there but to to circle back i think that was a great point you made you know in order to kick in a race and kick well first of all you have to be in the race you have to be you know near the front you, you can't have, like, fallen off. Um, no. Nope. And you have to have enough energy to kick. You know, like, the last 200 meters of a race, it's not about who has the best flat-out 200-meter speed, you know, like, out of blocks. That's not who's going to win the last 200. The person that's going to win the last 200 is going to be the strongest person that has the most energy left, that also has pretty good leg speed. Um, there's factors to it. So if you and I were racing, or, or say I was racing a, I don't know, an 800 guy that could dust me in an open 200. In a 5K, you know, you have to be there with 200 to go. And chances are a 5K, 10K guy is gonna be at a better position to kick harder and close faster than a pure 800 guy that has better quote leg speed. Um, yeah. there there's the old adage strength is speed. You know, you have to be strong in order to kick well in a race. Um, you know, leg speed is important, but yeah, you, you have to be in it and, and, uh, conserving energy like Lloydy did was the key for him in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And so I have a interest, I don't know. I've, I've kind of developed this idea around running racing a little bit and it's almost excludes you just <laughs> not 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 to like boost you like a hella amount but just because of the way that you're always going to find yourself in the races that you're in like at this point i don't think you're going to run very many races where you're not you know just going to be one of the top guys kind of trying to compete to, to to win it or be top three right which is just you know factual and that's not really a big deal it's just i feel like in my like best races in college so far when you get into these fields that are just stacked you have to do a little bit of what like lloyd does in this race to not go you have to almost you have to basically like condition yourself to have to shoot for your optimal day recognizing that if this favorite has his optimal day it will be very hard to beat him not impossible right you like like we talked about you never want to rule yourself out before a race but something i i remember doing like in 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 that one good 5k i ran like 1342 I started off in like 25th in that race. I mean, it's a loaded field at Stanford Invite. And I remember like not even worrying about the front of the lead until like the bell lap. And all I was doing up to that point is like moving up in it. And you kind of see Lloyd doing a similar thing here, obviously at a way higher level where he's in like that middle of the pack and probably realistically thinking about the medals. He hasn't conceded winning because, you know, you always think you're going to race all the way to the line and see what happens like he seemed like a veteran. I think he's 31 at the time of that race. He's been around it. He knows races don't end until they're over. But you almost you can't waste time stressing about the lead of a race when it's 50 meters in front of you. If if your portion of the race is there, I think that's helpful for cross races. It's helpful for track races that get strung out. You know the reason he's able to kick so well is because I guarantee you he wasn't. You know, at a mile and a half in, he wasn't stressing that Ngugi went. You know, you you can see, because he's not leading his group, he's not the guy trying to take that charge. He's staying in his group and he's saying, hey, if we get back to him, we get back to him. And if we don't, I'm going to kick really hard and try to win the silver, you know? And I think when you're you're a favorite in a race, when you're a top guy, you don't maybe have to live like that. But when you have maybe like a smaller set of optimal scenarios, you know, like a smaller set of ways to win or ways to have a have a day that gets you on a podium i think it's important to stay within your plan to an extent obviously you got to go try to compete in the race if things play differently but to not stress about hey what what that guy's doing down the road and then you know a lot of the time they do come back to you um a lot of the time favorites don't have a plus days and you can still go get them with your a plus day but it's important not to get sucked into you know Mark Rowland had a really good race, and I think you know anyone would pat him on the back after that and be like, hey man, like, really solid step, you went for it, that's ballsy, hell yeah. But he doesn't get a medal. you know. And, and, and meanwhile, Lloyd plays more within himself for 4,600 meters of that race and ends up winning, but also just ends up on the podium because of the way he ran it. I just think that's a unique thing, and people will have different takes on it. It's always good to be ballsy and aggressive, but on the other hand, you know, Ballsy is stupidity at a certain point, and so it's it's about staying within your line. Not that Roland's race was stupid by any stretch; he almost hung in there. He was leading the chase pack with three hundred to go, but you don't want to overextend it. You know, you want it to stay within yourself and not get too crazy about what everyone else is doing. To an extent, I guess is what I would say.
1: Yeah, man. I I think to summarize what what you just said, I, I would I would kind of say, take where you are and make the most of it. You can't look back and you know, beat yourself up too much in the middle of a race for things that you did earlier on. All you can do is take where you are and make the most of it. If you've made mistakes, don't make another mistake. Um, You you know, for example, in Googie, maybe he didn't make a mistake here, but he fell and lost 50 meters. I think we could say he made it. Yeah.
0: He doesn't make the mistake by falling, but he makes the mistake by rushing straight to the front. Yeah,
1: rushing straight to the front, I would say potentially is a mistake. And it ends up costing him. Um, And I think like reminding yourself to just take where you are and make the most of whatever the situation is, whatever cards you have will serve you well, like mid race. It'll serve you well, like not to be too meta with it, but in life, like if if you can just, (laughs) if you can just take where you are and like not beat yourself up for the circumstances that have led to that, but take whatever information you have, whatever, um, you know resources you have, and just make the most of whatever the situation is. You'll find yourself in progressively better situations with better resources and better opportunities. Um, I think that that'll help you a lot in a race. It'll help you a lot just getting through whatever. We we've gotten a lot of questions about um, being a Stanford student athlete, balancing school, balancing a social life, running, um, and I think that that could be a good thing to remind yourself if you're caught in a bit of, uh, you know, time balancing and, um, you know, struggling with that. All you can really do is take, take where you are and do the best you can. Um, yeah, I, I thought Lloyd did a great job of that in the race. Um, he did a great job of recognizing when other people were going to do the work for him um, and taking advantage of that, just sitting on it and letting them drag him through. Um, there was no need for him to do anything crazy because other people were doing it for him. And when other people are voluntarily making things easier for you, putting yourself in a better situation, (laughs) um, just embrace it. Take it,
0: you know? Can I just go on just to you were summarizing me, but then to summarize you at the very end of this, I think Alex Osberg was the one who told me this, but it could have been uh, any one of mentors in my life. um, But I'm pretty sure it was him. Uh, Similar to everything you're saying, the quote is just be where your feet are you know, and I feel like that it's similar to just like reacting from where you are in this position. If you made mistakes to get here, don't make another one. Like, like take the scenario that you're given and work upwards from there. You know, don't let things spiral. Don't get caught up in the past or the future. Yeah. Just being where your feet are. And that's something I struggle with for sure. Um, with regards to injuries or, you know, training, Uh, I think that's where he said it to me, because I have a tendency to try to get everything back when I'm coming off of an injury, and it often leads to another injury, and you've got to be where your feet are, and even within a race, like, you might see a guy 50 meters up the road and want to get him, but you can't get him right now, and you can't get him this lap, so it's important to just be where your feet are and move through it. I thought Lloyd did a really, really good job of that, and he wins the race because of it is there anything else the interview was really good <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend watching that there was one thing that stuck out to me in that unless you have anything to jump in
1: no yeah i i love the interview too so let me hear what your uh, favorite part of it was
0: well th- the australian announcers and the australian interviewer because i think this was the australian channel or whatever which is sick because their boy one I, they were like they were pumped for him but they were also just kind of very much like hey man you won because these guys fell like how like, what's <laughs> up with that you know like you did you did great but you won and they ask him in the interview they're like do you feel bad for him like, did I think they said did you feel bad for Ngugi as if like not like do you but did you like yeah when you passed him at 20 meters to go did you feel bad for him like hell no <laughs> um but you see Lloyd like look at his legs and he's like no like I got spiked like really bad and you know just kind of like that runner mentality of like I don't feel bad for him that he fell and that sucks that he fell, but it happens and it's dims the brakes. And I thought him as a 31 year old kind of a veteran in it. I thought that was a really good response. Just kind of being like, I don't, I don't feel bad for the guy. It sucks that he fell. Um, but you got to seize your moments in the sport for sure. And I feel like that was very much along those lines of just, no, I'm going to take what I can. He probably, I didn't even know. if I don't know how Lloyd would have even known that and Googie fell. I mean, he was probably in front of him when it happened. So, But yeah, um, I really liked that part of the interview, just being like, no, I mean, it is what it is. Like that sucks for him, but I don't feel sorry for him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that was a a very funny question. Um, and I, I, it was funny seeing what, what Lloyd was going to say, because when they ask, you know, did you feel for sorry for Ngugi when you passed him? He kind of paused before saying anything. And then was kind of like, yeah, nah, it's, it's kind of part of the game and then mumbled something to himself. Um, it is part of the game. You know, you make the most of your opportunities. It was really unfortunate what happened to Ngugi. Um, and you know, most likely if he hadn't been tripped, he probably would have won the race. Um, but I think so, but, too. but that's not what happened. Um, you know, you can't look back too much on like what could have been or what should have been or how someone screwed you up. Um, you know, and Ngugi went on to to do great things. However, I did mention I had a, an interesting Ngoogie story. The, the Ngoogie okay, story, right. or unless you have anything more to add to the race. No, great race. Everyone <laughs> should
0: either watch it if they haven't already or hopefully watched it while they were listening to this. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah,
1: so, so Ngoogie, you know, Olympic champ, World Cross champ, four times, great runner. In 1993, so three years after this, Ngoogie is approached for an out-of-competition drug test, which he refuses, he refuses to take. Um, so he receives a four-year suspension because he refuses to take this out-of-competition drug test, Um, fights the ruling. His ban is reduced because uh, apparently the Kenyan Athletic Federation uh, admitted that they hadn't educated their athletes well enough about what out-of-competition tests were and that you had to do it. Um, But at that point, Ngugi's career was kind of over. He was past his prime, and was on the decline it was kind of it was over so it was a really really weird situation where um, he declined taking the test refuses to take the test for whatever reason Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know much about him so you know you can speculate that he didn't want to take it because he was taking something illegal or you can speculate that he didn't want to take it because some random person approached him and said pee in this cup and I'm going to take your blood And it wasn't very official. Um, You can speculate out of the way. I don't really know what happened, but kind of weird that his career just kind of came to an end because of that. Um, Banned for four years, it was later reduced, but by that point, it was kind of over.
0: Jeez, I mean, well, that that wouldn't, I mean, not that wouldn't be the first time that like athletic athletic federations have taken the fall for their athletes, though. But still, that that's like a tough. So, I mean, you just, you hate the ambiguity surrounding so many of these <laughs> drug tests yeah, right? yeah. back in the 80s, 90s, and in the present day. It's just, that's frustrating to to have be a factor in a sport, obviously. But damn, that that's a that's a series of tough breaks, or he actually dodged forever being associated with it, depending <laughs> on how it is. But yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at retroactive racing, and got to try to just enjoy what the racing is in the moment. And it's really hard when you start looking at it from a records perspective or a history perspective with just the history of you know doping and a lot of athletics uh but damn that that's uh i'm trying to think if there's anything else that we need to hit on before kind of wrapping this up hopefully everyone enjoyed watching it as much as i did because that was that was and it's in new zealand i don't know if that so when the when what is it when kenny rod what's his name uh when, Kerry uh, roger yeah, when Kerry Roger goes to the front, this just the crowd getting into it. I think that's part of the reason they get so amped with 200 to go as well because he's still kind of there. I mean, that that's love those love that atmospheric parts of uh parts of home meets for guys. That so that's really cool.
1: Yeah, the environment seemed awesome. Um, Pac stadium. You know, it, it seemed like there were probably a lot of Aussies there watching. Um, so yeah, probably pretty cool to see Lloyd uh, take home the win. Uh, he was actually the very first uh, athlete from Australia to win the 5k at Commonwealth games, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, something that, uh, Ron Clark never did Albert Thomas, uh, some really good Aussie guys never were able to win at at Commonwealth. So, um, very exciting race. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I I hope it was a race that a lot of people didn't know about. So it was kind of a new one.
0: Yeah. Pulling it out for everyone. Um, (laughs) And that was, and it was so tragic what you said about the car accident and his wife passing. Yeah. I, mean, that, I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't do much wikiing before this, but that's <laughs> just, I mean, I don't know. I, I, without knowing that when I watched his post-race interview, he didn't seem quite like a man who had just won the biggest race of his life. I, I know he said that they asked him like, is this the biggest race of your life or whatever? And he's like, yeah, like he didn't seem to be like, as like, just recklessly happy as maybe i would be in that moment (laughs) and i think i mean i didn't know what it was i think oh he's just he's like this old wily dude he knew it was his moment whatever i I think maybe part of that goes to like i'm sure he's dealing with a lot of emotion in that moment as well and just with the knee surgeries and 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 the tragedy that it was in his life it's man that's really cool to see and it it makes me a bigger fan knowing what he'd been through um yeah i'm a heck of a job researching too dude (laughs) some a1 level stuff
1: yeah yeah no i um as he as i've mentioned yeah, a bit of a historical track nerd so um yeah a, a fun race to to break down i really enjoyed it yeah he he crushed it <laughs> got it done at the line i love that
0: i love when well kind of hate it but love when guys win a race without leading a step until <laughs> the line that's always sick yeah um it's always sick so yeah we you guys have sent in a ton of suggestions for future races as well but continue to um We definitely looked at a couple of them, and I think we're going to do some of them and later on. Yeah. Perhaps people had some really good recommendations. The the other housekeeping thing on the back end, I want to say we talked about this pre-recording. We're gonna, I think we're gonna try to do try to do a little giveaway here. Um, with, I mean, I'm talking about this, but it's really coming out of Grant. So, (laughs) Grant, thank you in advance for this. But we're gonna, I think we're gonna be doing a giveaway. We're gonna post about it. We're definitely gonna bring it up on a future episode because it's not gonna happen right away. But in order to be eligible for this giveaway. Uh, of nike gear of of nike we're going to go on the elite website and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna (laughs) get a couple a couple items perhaps uh maybe we'll we'll dm with the winner about specifically what they're what they're looking for uh get something to people the way to be eligible for this giveaway is you've got to subscribe to the pod wherever wherever you get your wherever you get your uh podcasts probably apple or spotify but wherever it is and you got to go follow the instagram account the half step pod where we post every time an episode drops, just, you know, so you make sure you get that. We're going to hopefully be ramping up the content in that department, especially like when grant races, that's an easy way to see how he does in like real time. Cause I'll be on the account, probably posting about it as it happens. Uh, so there's double reasons to do that. And then, so that that's, that's if you guys take, send us proof that you did that. Um, or I guess if it's your name, we'll see the Instagram follow. But if you send us proof uh, that you subscribed, to the half step pod at gmail.com which is our email account that's in our bio
1: or or you can dm it to us on instagram if you just like screenshot that you subscribe or whatever
0: yeah you'll be eligible if you also send us proof that you gave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or if you have a similar thing on the other podcast apps um you will get a bonus entry into the drawing it'll be two instead of one
1: yeah that'll that'll be a double entry so um, we haven't really decided what we're going to give away yet. We'll, we'll have that hashed out hopefully pretty soon. Um, we'll yeah. post specifics on, on the Instagram. Um, so that'll be another benefit of, of following us. But um, yeah, we'll feel out if people want gear, if people want spikes, if people want shoes, um, we'll, we'll hook them up. Uh, obviously it will be Nike gear uh, regardless. So um, yeah, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully we get some people winning some stuff. And I'm,
0: I'm typically annoyed by giveaways, like by accounts and corporate (laughs) accounts and all that stuff. it's like, oh, there's like a million people retweeting this guy. It's like, I mean, we're grateful for how many people listen to this, but it's not like there's an overwhelming number of people listening to this. (laughs) And there's probably even less who are going to actually go through the, go through the process of, of sending us proof that you did these things. So in doing so, I'd say you have a fairly good shot to actually win the competition. I don't know. I I don't know about you. I mean, we have like what, like a little over a thousand listens, like. For episode in in like whatever category Podbean tells us, so you doing this is going to put you in a in a small class of people who go through with it and will very much will help us out. And if you've already followed and already subscribed, just send us proof of that, and you're going to be in as well.
1: Yeah, and obviously we'll we'll get the size right on whatever stuff you guys get. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, no need to worry about that stuff. But yeah, definitely appreciate all, all people messaging us. Um, we've gotten some great recommendations, some great feedback. Um, really appreciate, you know, people, uh, shouting us out and stuff. So, um, hope you guys like this episode. Hope you enjoyed the the race breakdown. Um, if, if you've listened to the, all the way through, uh, definitely check out the YouTube video of, of this race. It's, it's super exciting. Um, if you have not that much time, just listen to the second video, the second part that, yeah, that covers like the last, YouTube. you know, four minutes of the race. Um you won't regret it it's a great race
0: hey and last last thing we might keep your eyes peeled on this instagram account on the on the feed we might be we might be doing some special things in the coming weeks with episodes might be doing a might be doing a double episode week uh where we might we might be getting getting a guest on might be getting a first guest on i don't know Well, uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how we flesh out the second part of this week but it, it could it could happen yeah at altitude camp you know there's a lot of <laughs> A lot of people in a small space, so we, we might we might be throwing, throwing another mic out here and, and trying to do that.
1: Yeah, well, we, we have obtained another mic up, up at Altitude Camp, so um, yeah, I've got the Bowerman team around me. If you guys would like to hear from a certain person or hear someone's perspective, definitely DM us and let us know. Um, we're looking at having our first guest, which is, uh, you know, uncharted territory for us, but I think it'll be good. This is true.
0: Yeah, under asked for now, but you know, could be out soon so we'll see but uh yeah thank you guys for listening to another episode we really appreciate the support and uh we'll catch you next time on the half step pod yeah see you guys